Okay, thank you. Good morning, Crossroads. It's, uh, this, this, is, uh, this is Crossroads, and this is uh, the way we do things. You've got to forgive us, okay? Number one, Annette, beautiful song, and believe it or not, perfect in terms of what we're going to share this morning. You see, it's only Jesus and Jesus alone, and that's the whole secret. About three weeks ago, folks, before I left on my trip, I shared with you when I came back and kind of gave you the same thing again, and that had to do with the coming of the Lord. And that is so prevalent in my thoughts, that's so prevalent in my mind, that somehow or other it seems like he might be coming just tonight. But as I read the scripture and I looked and I went over my notes of the time that I spoke with you folks, and there was a line there that I wrote, which the Holy Spirit just moved on me to just key in on that with you this morning. And the line was, it's not important that we know the date. Matter of fact, it's, it's, it, the scripture says we don't know the date, and whoever gives the date is, is out of order. So, uh, but then I remember the Spirit just quickened me to say, we don't have to know the date but we do have to be ready. In other words, there's something about our attitude. That, that's what God's looking at. And I love the Lord because I find the gospel, and you folks that are sitting with us this morning, you, you'll agree with me. The gospel is a, a truth that has to do with each individual. The gospel is something so personal. And that's why, uh, that's where it's got to go. That's why religion is not the key. Religion is not the secret. Religion is not the thing. It's the personal encounter. It's the personal knowledge. It's the personal touch. It's you being able to breathe right from the, the heartstrings. Of, oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, Jesus, walk with me. Only Jesus. And that's the truth. Now, as I looked into the Bible again and read that scripture, and, and it, it, it's interesting. It says, and when I return, uh, the world will be as indifferent to the things of God as people were in Noah's day. They ate and they drank and they married. Everything just, uh, everything just as usual right up to the day when Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building until the morning lot left Sodom. And then fire and brimstone rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the hour of my return. When I read that, I, I was just, you know, sometimes we're expecting something to happen. We're expecting some type of a standstill. We're expecting some type of a spectacle, like when you look up at fireworks. But no, no, it's going to be life as usual. And it may be when you leave chapel this morning. Just that simple. When we walk out, the trumpet sounds. Because it will be life as usual. But the key for me this morning with you, with you and those that have your Bible, just open it up. It's the 18th chapter of the book of Luke, as I read from the 17th, and just flow right into the 18th. This is what, this is what uh, came to my heart and to my mind. Jesus, the greatest storyteller the world has ever known, gives us stories. The first story has to do 
with, uh, with constant prayer, and it tells us that we must keep praying until the answer comes. This, I don't know why we call her an old lady, this scripture, and I was looking for, uh, for something that would tell me she's old, and I suppose the word widow kind of keyed in, but we have a lot of young widows, too. So maybe she wasn't so old. But she was wise, because there's something about that woman that's so interesting. Uh, we're talking about attitudes, and I, I love to talk about attitudes, because in New York City is the city of attitudes. We all know about attitudes. We know who has them and who doesn't. We look at someone, we smile at someone, we get no looks back or bad looks back, or we don't get a smile back, and we say, my, she has an attitude. We even look at children and think they have attitudes, too. But listen, the attitude of our heart is what Jesus digs into in this 18th chapter. Number one, what is an attitude that pleases God? Well, in this woman, the attitude was persistence. You know something? As you read these verses, you find out she was kind of relentless. In other words, she had that gift, this very unique gift that's called stick to itness. And that, that gift was very special. She needed help. You know, that's the beginning of the solution of any problem on earth. You've got to realize you have one. She needed help. And she knew the source. And in her case, it was a judge. He had to settle the issue. And she wasn't to seek another source. This is where she had to go, and this is where it had to be done. Oh, I love that. Just think in terms of our relationship to Jesus. If we would understand that if we need, we have in life. He is the source. And if we would go right to the source and continue there, because the whole story is that he paid no attention to her until she broke him down. And he wasn't easy to break down because he wasn't an emotional person. He was angry. He was nasty. He didn't want to be bothered with her. But he says, I just don't want to ever see her again. And Jesus says, well, listen, if an ugly judge feels that way, let's talk about God. And I love the way he says it. He says, the judge ignored her, yes. And his answer to her was, I fear neither God nor man, but this woman bothers me. I'm going to see that she gets justice, for she's wearing me out with her constant coming. And the Lord said, if even an evil judge can be worn down like that, don't you think that God will surely give justice to his people who plead with him day and night? Yes, he will answer them. But the question is, and here we go to the attitudes. When I, the Messiah, return, how many will I find who have faith? How many will I find who are persistent in prayer? How many will I find that are connected to me in heaven? Oh, folks, do you understand now the attitude? We've got to we understand that prayer will be our link until he comes. Prayer will be our communication. Well, maybe what this phone is between us this morning, this is what prayer is to us and the Lord. It doesn't matter that I'm not seeing a congregation full and lovely faces, and I can almost pick you out. I can see you by where you sit and some of our friends in the back. Wow, uh, my imagination is very fertile. Yet I sit in a, in a motel room, 
and I share with you the importance of persistent, persistent relationship and that relationship in prayer. Now let's go on in chapter 18. The Lord then talks about, well, he talks about prayer again. But now the attitude is not the persistent. He's simply talking about our attitude in our prayers, what it should be. First of all, yes, we should be persistent, but there's something else that's terribly important. In our coming close to God, two men come. One is a religious man, and you know what the scripture says? He was full of pride. Oh, you might say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud. Well, I'm proud of a few things. Uh, I'm proud of some normal things. I'm proud of some of my achievements. Uh, but basically, I'm not a proud person. Now, this gentleman was religious, and he was proud. And he was proud simply because, and he told the Lord, he says, Lord, I'm not a sinner like everyone else, especially like that tax collector over there. Have you ever met people that you think they never pray? Have you ever met people that you think they'll never make it to heaven? Have you ever met people that you've already put an X on their life? They're crossed out. It's not going to happen. Oh, but listen to me. The scripture says that he's talking to God. And he says, especially like that tax collector over there. And then he goes on to give God uh, his, uh, what shall we say, to tell God how good he is. There are some very, very... I like it in Spanish. There are some atrevidos in esta vida. There are some people that have more nerve than you could ever think about. Now listen, this is what he says. I never cheat. I don't commit adultery. I go without food. It means he fasts twice a week. What else does it say? And I give God a tenth of everything I earn. Well, that man is sitting back there, and his chest is bursting with pride. But then the scripture says that the corrupt tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, but beat upon his chest in sorrow, explaining, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, and this is Jesus, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home forgiven. For the proud shall be humbled, but the humble shall be honored. And so that, that, that says something to us, because... As the years go by and as we walk with God, we pick up a lot of cliches. We use a lot of scripture, not in the right places, not in the right context. And we will declare that God doesn't hear a sinner, and we will declare that God doesn't hear this and God doesn't hear that. But if you go to the context of where we're pulling it out, you'll see there were specific situations of rebellion specific situations where people rejected God. No, this man didn't reject. He knew his sin, and he came to the source that could do something for him. Now, the lesson here and the attitude here that Jesus is trying to tell us is an attitude of humility. Now, this is important. Folks, sometimes we confuse humility with personality. We confuse it with human nature. We see somebody that, that's kind of kind of sweet, kind of nice. Uh, we see somebody that's kind of easygoing. Uh, we see somebody that you could push them down and they come on up again, uh, and they're still smiling. And we just look over at them. We say, oh, my, they are so humble. And this is the way we judge humility. I think by now you know that that's not the humility the Bible is talking about. 
the humility the Bible talks about is people that bow low before God. People that understand who he is, not in the fullest extent, not in, in, the, in the extent of glory and, and what shall I say, in the highest. No, 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 no. They just know who God is in terms of his greatness, in terms of his power. And let me tell you something. The most important thing in our lives right now is to ask God to make us humble. Humble before him. Because you see, whoever bows low before God, listen to me carefully, whoever bows low before God, you rise from that position to be able to handle everybody around you. There is something about your bowing low before God and the Spirit of God moving into your life that each time you rise, you rise with a greater reflection of Him in your life. Attitude. Isn't that interesting? This whole chapter is attitude. Attitude of persistence and prayer. An attitude of humility before God. And then I think Jesus goes into his specialty. I call it his specialty because it's our specialty at Crossroads. He goes into his thoughts about children. And there's a lesson of attitude to be learned here. And one day some mothers brought their babies to him to touch and bless. But the disciples told them, that's the 15th verse, go away. Then Jesus called the children over to him and said to the disciples, let the little children come to me. And I love this phrase, never send them away. Never send them away. For the kingdom of God belongs to men and to women whose hearts are trusting as these little children. And anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get within the kingdom's gates. Now, let me tell you something. I've always made a declaration of difference and hear it this morning again. We're not talking about childishness. We're not talking about somebody that's 30 and acts like 11. We're not talking about just trying to be a kid. No, 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 no. We're talking about childlike attitude. I've written quite a few poems on children, and people say I'm a very bad poet because I can't remember my own poems, and I don't, because they're given to me on an inspiration moment. But I will tell you this. We have so much to learn from children. And because Jesus loved them so much, they became his living visual aid. They became his living object lesson. They became his main teaching sessions. He says the kingdom of God belongs to people who have trusting hearts like a child. But you see, it's not the trusting heart of a fool who's not wise. It's not the trusting heart of somebody that believes a con artist. It's not the trusting heart that has to do with us being dumb and not awake. No, no, no. It's the trusting heart that flows from a relationship. You say, well, children don't have relationship. No, they don't have relationship. But listen to this. They don't have the prejudices of life either. They don't have, they're so natural. They are so free. And, and I have to tell you something about that, and I'll tell it to you in just a minute. The kingdom belongs to children. And the Lord is telling us that we have to have their kind of faith. What kind of faith is that? It's a faith with no guile. It's a faith that's sincere. 
And that's, that's where it becomes childlike. And you know, folks, that's why sometimes we can show, sow the seed of Jesus. We can tell somebody about the Lord. But somehow or other, when it comes to our personal feelings, when it comes to the way we believe in the Lord, sometimes we kind of uh, hold that back only because we know what a treasure we have. And there are people that might laugh at our faith. And there are people that might say, hey, come on, wake up, smell the coffee, smell the roses, smell anything. But listen, we have smelled, and listen to me carefully, the fragrance that comes from the lily of the valley. His name is Jesus. We've seen the beauty of the rose of Sharon, and we've had that fragrance in our lives. So when you have faith, you are awake. When you have faith, you're permeated with the perfume of God. And a faith attitude is the one we need. You say, oh, Sister Amy, but you're talking about faith. Wait, no, 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 no. I'm talking about childlike faith. The faith that lets nothing come between. The faith that simply says, he's able. He's strong. He's almighty. Have you ever seen a little boy telling another little boy that if he doesn't behave and he doesn't, uh, he's going to get his big brother on him? Uh, there's just such pride in that little mouth. That little mouth is saying, I've got somebody that protects me. I've got somebody that will come out and fight for me. Yes, that is childish. I know that. But there's also a childlike attitude. That's the way we have to feel. We've got a big brother that will fight for us. Not only did he fight for us, he died for us. Isn't it marvelous? I get excited. you got to forgive me. Okay, now, believing. That's an attitude. Persistence is an attitude. Humility is an attitude. And, and the, the contrast to that in, in terms of persistence would be hyperness, where we tell God, you know, I want it, you know, yesterday. And instead of humility, the opposite of that is pride. And believing faith, the opposite of that is, well, to not trust, to not believe. Now it goes on, we've got another attitude that we've got to look at, and it's interesting. It has to do with money. Money, money, money. Have you ever heard the song? That's what makes the world go round. And to many people it does. The next incident is one with the rich young ruler. It's the one that has everything the one that lacks nothing. But yet there's a void. Yet there's an empty spot. Yet there is something he doesn't have. And when he meets the master, there is a tremendous encounter. You know, when you look at Jesus, I think that people could see he was dressed well. I think his sandals were the best. In the 8th chapter of Luke, it tells us that those women were after both the needs of Jesus and the needs of the disciples. And when he dies on a cross, his robe is not caught up because it's a seamless robe, which is one of the most expensive, the better made ones. So this, was, this, is, this is our Jesus. I think this rich boy is looking at him, and he's, he's just sizing him up. Uh, does he have what I have? That, uh, but, you know, when he's through sizing from head to toe, and he comes back, and he starts to see something that's very different. You see, there's something about Jesus that has nothing to do with the height, with the size, with the weight, with the color of eyes, with the clothing or sandals that you wear. He perceived that. And he simply says to Jesus, and he says it real honestly, what shall I do 
to get to heaven? Uh, how can I inherit eternal life? Well, everything he had, he inherited. So he didn't know of any other means to get what he wanted to get. So he's asking in a very clear way. Oh, but folks, listen to me. Listen to me carefully. This is another little boy that somehow the religious community, because of his money, had given him the good housekeeping seal of approval. Because when Jesus mentions the commandments, he says, I've done all of that since childhood. So there was some way in which he was approved by the religious community. And then Jesus comes through, and he sees what no one else can see. You see, when God looks at man, he sees the void. There's an emptiness inside. Sometimes we feel very satisfied. Sometimes we thank God for what we have. Sometimes we feel comfortable. But you know, when Jesus is not king, when he is not Lord, there'll be moments of aching. There'll be moments of void. There'll be moments of emptiness. And Jesus says, there's still one thing you lack. And he says it so easily. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. Give your money to the poor. And listen, it'll become treasure for you in heaven. You see what Jesus was saying to him, change your bank, son. You know, n not from city to Manny What he was saying is, give it to the poor. Go back to Proverbs. What happens to the one that gives to the poor? Well, he lends to God. What happens to the one that gives to the poor? He gives to the Lord in a very special way. So when we put this together, and it's interesting, let me tell you how that works. Jesus simply said to him, and said it very clearly to the rich young ruler, you're not going to inherit eternal life. Even if you've obeyed since you were a child, there's one thing you lack. Now go sell everything and make this transfer, transfer of riches, transfer of everything you have. And the scripture then goes on to say, and it says it very clearly, he went away sad. You see, folks, money was his security. It was his cushion. It was his retirement. It was his life. And Jesus understood that. Jesus moves our security to him. And until you can transfer your security from your money to the Lord, you really don't have anything at all. Now, let me tell you something. Money for the Jewish people, yeah, money for the Jew is a religious symbol. And it was very important. If you were rich, you were blessed. And I have a lot of Jewish friends, and through my husband, I've met a lot of Jewish family. And it's so interesting because the conversation will never end with a new encounter until they say, well, what do you do for a living? Ah, why? It's not how are you. It's not the spiritual aspect of your life. No, no, no. What do you do for a living? Because when you tell them what you do for a living, you will then size up very carefully their concept of if you're blessed or you're not. Because money is a blessing. It's a symbol. And maybe that's why we're so anxious uh, sometimes to have so much. And maybe that's why so many things can crawl into even our theology and we can come to a point where we think, that is God's plan. No, folks, listen to me carefully. And it's, it's, got to be, it's got to be said clearly. Money isn't everything. 
But I'm going to tell you something. Even the, even the disciples were a little annoyed at this. Uh, so annoyed, and I mean this, so annoyed that Peter says, well, uh, you say that money is uh, it's not that important. Wait a minute. You even say it's difficult for them to get saved. Because Jesus had just told them how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard him say this exclaimed, if it is that hard, how can anyone be saved? And then Jesus says, God can do what man can't. And then Peter got very personal. I love Peter. He's the man I, I want to see in heaven. Because uh, every floor I could ever have, I see in him. They're bigger in me than in him, but uh, that's not the issue. And he says, well, what about us? And then Jesus says something that is the true basis of all prosperity. In this earth, and listen to what he says, and anyone who has done, Jesus replied, and everyone who has done as you have, leaving home and wife and brothers and parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, will be repaid many times over now, as well as receiving eternal life in the world to come. Yes, there is a now involved. There is a here involved. But you know what? God knows when. And God knows what you can handle. And the secret of what we get lies in our surrender. And when we surrender, part of the surrender plan is simply saying to God, whatever you know I can handle, whatever you know is good for me, whatever timing you have, I'll accept. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? And I, I love the Lord. So what does he say about money? What's our attitude about money? Well, thank God for it. Be a good steward. Do what you should with it. But don't let it be your life. Don't let it be the goal. Don't let it be your hope. Don't let it be your aspiration. Be good stewards. God will bless you. Be kind. Be generous. But above all, you trust him. Your hope is not in anything else. I'm in Louisiana this morning. And this state has been beaten so hard with Hurricane Andrew. And there are people without homes uh, here in the north part where I am. It was just rains, uh, and, and the bayous overflowed a little. But here people went back to their homes to not even find a home. Matter of fact, the markings of the land, uh, it was just kind of swept away and thrown into the waterways. You know, that's one of the great truths to let us know that you can't hang on to everything and anything because in just an opening of an eye, it can all be gone. But you see, when it's not your hope, you don't have to worry. Why? Because the God that saved you will see you through. And I happen to know that's just the way it is. Now, let, let's close this chapter with a glorious attitude. There's a blind man that comes. I love him. He shows, listen, he shows persistence. He shows confidence. He's, he's knowledgeable. Why? Well, first of all, when he found out it was Jesus, he shouted. And when they told him to shut up, he yelled even louder. He had confidence. And his confidence showed when he said, have mercy. He knew, there's the source, have mercy. And then he said, son of David. So he knew it was Messiah that goes by. And Jesus said, bring him to me. 
And then Jesus asks the question that sounds kind of dumb and out of order. What do you want? And the answer came back, I want to see. And I love what Jesus said. All right, begin seeing. Your faith has healed you. And it's so precious and so marvelous. I've had a knock at the door. Would you wait just a minute, folks? Come in. All right, I'll go on and I'll finish here. They've come to get me for a morning service. Now, let me put this all together for you. How can you get a change of attitude? Number one, recognize you have an attitude. And if it's a negative one, hey, think about it. Research its beginning. You say, oh, oh here's our therapy, here's our psychology. No, search it out. It could have been inherited, and I mean that. You know the things we say over dinner tables and little children here? You know how we can call somebody, uh, well, what can we call them? If he's Italian, we might call him a wop. They're black, we might have used the word nigger. If they're Spanish, we might have said the spick. Well, let me tell you something. When we research our beginnings, we realize that some, some of our attitudes have been inherited. And may God, as Christians, help us to not give this to our children. Now, how does the Bible handle this? How, how does Jesus and the Bible handle our attitudes? Well, let me tell you. You do the same. And Jesus tells us, when we surrender to truth, and here's truth. When we love that truth, and we let it abide within, that's all the difference in the world. So this morning, I want to tell you, the attitudes that are healthy is an attitude of prayer with a persistence that's relentless. Our walk with God has to be one of humility, one that bows low before God. Our faith in believing has got to take on the childlikeness of the little child that believes and hangs close. And folks, money, material security is the issue. It was the rich young ruler's only cushion. We don't need it. Yes, we do to live. Don't get me wrong. But that's not our security our security in Christ, and our attitude towards healing, an act of faith, God can do it. God did it, and he will do it. Well, that's it. It's a, it's a message on attitudes. It's something I give you this morning. Crossroads, God bless you. We're in the age of technology, so I'm preaching to you, and I've given you a whole sermon from this glorious country of Louisiana. The Lord bless, the Lord keep you, I turn this over to whatever and whoever is conducting this service, and may God be with you in a powerful way. See you tomorrow. See you in Tuesday night prayer. Love you all. Bye-bye.